0: Heavenly Father, we pray that you might uh, calm and quiet our hearts and give us uh, concentration, uh, free our minds and enable us to focus on you and on your word to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is the Sunday that I call Vision Sunday. Uh, We also call it Commissioning Sunday. Uh, A Sunday, it's the first Sunday in February, just the time when all the the weekday ministries are cranking up again and we're refocusing ourselves for another year on our church's mission. Uh, Perhaps uh, in in many respects this year will be the the same as previous ones. Uh, Who knows what God might have planned for us. Uh, As the pastor, of course, you always hope that this year is going to be the one where there'll be a flood of conversions and there'll be hundreds of people in the church Uh, by the end of the year. But whether or not that is the case, uh, it's important to reset ourselves using God's word and make sure we're on track for the year. Uh, And uh, letting the Bible set the agenda, uh, we are simply picking up John's gospel where we left it off last year. So we've paused our series in Genesis. We're returning to John's gospel, which we uh, studied for much of last year, Uh, And John's Gospel, I mean, to me, even 50 sermons on John's Gospel would be rushing it. But we are going to uh, finish John's Gospel now before Easter. Uh, We're just jumping in in chapter 13, and we'll finish it by Easter. John's Gospel devotes a lot of space to the night before Jesus died. So here in chapter 13 out of 21 chapters... We're already at the evening before Jesus will die on the cross and he's speaking with his disciples over dinner. So these are also very appropriate chapters for us to consider during Lent, which starts in two weeks. Now, of course, Jesus' disciples don't know that he will die the next day. Jesus knows that, but his disciples don't. Now, the way that Jesus begins to explain this to them is that he says... I'm about to go away and you won't be able to follow me. Have a look there in verse 33. It's printed for you in your yellow booklet. Uh, Chapter 13, verse 33 of John's Gospel. Jesus says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. Now, can you imagine how sad this must have made them feel? Uh, To be with Jesus, this endlessly interesting and perplexing teacher, the miracle worker, the master who made you feel so cared for, I mean, it must have been so amazing to be with Jesus. The disciples were so blessed. And so to hear him say, I'm going somewhere that you can't follow. Well, that is really sad news. And it's not only sad, it's confusing. I mean, for them, what does this mean? Where is he going to go? Why can't we follow him? And in fact, those are the exact questions which Simon Peter will ask Jesus in verse 36. Lord, where are you going? Verse 37, Lord, why can't I follow you now? So you see, this announcement of Jesus that he's going to go away, this will color the next four chapters. All of the teaching that Jesus gives in these chapters is against the background of the fact that he's going away. And that's why it's sometimes called the farewell discourse. In this teaching, Jesus is preparing his disciples for what it will be like after he has died and risen and gone into heaven, though they don't understand the detail of that what it's going to be like for them when he is no longer physically present with his church. And that makes these chapters, of course, very relevant to us because we also continue to live in the time when Jesus is, he has ascended into heaven, we're waiting for him to return from heaven and so he's not physically present with us now. So I'd like to draw out two big themes from Jesus' teaching here. And this is the great thing about letting the Bible set the agenda because uh, these themes are a little bit different from the themes of the vision prayer which I wrote many years ago and which we pray, uh, we've prayed today, um, sort of my vision for the church. Uh, that I don't think is wrong, but here we're going to get Jesus' vision, if you like, for his, his disciples after he's gone into heaven. And the first thing is Love. Love. Uh, we've got, we're reading familiar words here, but I I want you to pick it up again at the end of verse 33. Jesus says this, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another, and by this will everyone know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Now, can you see the logic of this? See, as long as Jesus is with them, it's easy for outsiders to see who Jesus' disciples are. They're the people that are following Jesus around. But once Jesus has gone away, how will people know who his disciples are? Will it be the fact that they go to church? Not necessarily. Will it be... Uh, That they share the gospel? Not necessarily. Will it be that they work hard to make the world a better place? Not necessarily. Now, those are all things that you would expect Jesus' disciples to do. Jesus' disciples must do those things. But they are not faultless indicators of who is a Christian. When Jesus is not physically present, the way that we're meant to show that we're his disciples is that we love one another. It's not that Christians are the only people who love. All normal people love their own families, for example. But what Jesus wants for his followers is we will not just love our own families and not just those that we choose to love, but we will love all of those who have been brought into God's family with us. We mustn't let ourselves off the hook just because these words are familiar. It's easy to think that you're okay at loving. When we think of love as a general idea, we think, oh yeah, I guess I'm okay at that. But the trouble is, love is never a general idea. Love is specific. It's got to be for a specific person. I might think to myself, oh yes, I love everyone. But how about the specific person sitting three pews away from you? Uh, you, Do you know that person? Have you spoken to them? Do you know what's going on in their life? Have you ever prayed for them? Have you had to be patient with their failings? Uh, Have they perhaps had to be patient with your failings and you've had to apologize? Do do you see the picture that I'm trying to paint? Uh, I'm not suggesting that that it's possible for us to have a close and an intimate relationship with everyone in the congregation, especially since I want the congregation to grow in numbers. But when we think about love for each other, it isn't just general. It's love for the specific other people who gather with us here in the name of Jesus. Love has to be specific or it isn't love. So here is a good challenge for us. And I want you to know that I find this very challenging myself. Sometimes I actually don't even want to preach certain things because they're challenging to me. But here's the challenge for us. If somebody else looked at your life, would they say, oh, yes, I can tell she's a Christian from the way that she loves her fellow Christians? Another aspect about this teaching of Jesus which people often miss is he says that people will know that we're his disciples by the way we love one another, but he doesn't say that people will like that. Uh, sometimes when, uh, when they see the special love that Christians have for each other, outsiders might feel envious or, or even annoyed that we have loyalties that draw us away from them. Fellow Christians are family. Family is a special bond. It's not that we don't love non-Christians, of course we do, but we love Christians in a special way because they are family. And people will be able to tell we're Jesus' disciples by the way that we love each other with that special bond. So can you see now why a simple thing like coming to morning tea is so profoundly important? It's because morning tea is usually your best chance on a Sunday to get to know the people that Jesus calls us to love. Morning tea is just a first step, really. It's it's hard to get to know people deeply there, but it's an important first step. And the next step might be uh, perhaps you know, going to a cafe with someone for lunch or inviting them over to your house or joining a Bible study group or even coming to the church weekend away. Now, look, none of these things are magical. They're just creating the conditions for loving relationships to develop. I don't know of any way, any sort of church practice to to kind of guarantee that loving relationships will develop Uh, But I do know a way to guarantee that loving relationships won't develop, and that is if we don't make the effort to spend time with one another. And then once we're in relationship with each other, will we find ways to reach out and love one another sacrificially? And then we pray that God will help us to do that. You wouldn't believe the number of times people have said to me, oh, but you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And the answer to that is, well, yeah, I suppose you also can be a member of a family without going to that family's Christmas dinner. But I mean, really, you're not a functioning member of the family, are you, if you never gather with the family? To love fellow believers, obviously being here on a Sunday and, uh, as, as the main thing, that's, that's a basic first step. And then we can build on that. From, by, by sharing our lives with each other. Well, I hope you found uh, this particular teaching from Jesus challenging. I, I found it very challenging. I, for many years, I've, I've not claimed that I'm a loving person. I, I, I know that this sort of teaching challenges me. Uh, but this is what Jesus said. He wants us to show the world that we're his disciples by loving each other. Now, if we are challenged by these words, and even if we're feeling a sense of failure, uh, there are also words of comfort from Jesus that come in the next chapter. Chapter 14 is commonly read at funerals. Do not let your hearts be troubled. It's been read at many, many funerals. But the reason that the disciples' hearts are troubled here is because Jesus has said he's going away. And they're not sure how they're going to do without him. And they wish that they could go with him. And listen to the way that the conversation flowed. Remember that the chapter divisions have not been inserted by the writers. They were inserted centuries later. Chapter 13, verse 37. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house and many rooms. You see, Peter is profoundly stirred up by this news that Jesus is leaving. He's insisting that he could follow, uh, but Jesus knows that Peter is not up to the task. Uh, In fact, he's about to deny that he even knows Jesus. But even then, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust me. I'm going to go away, and I'm going to come back, to take you to be with me forever. Now that is comforting, wouldn't you say? If your heart is feeling stirred up, or if you're feeling a sense of failure, or if you're feeling like, I don't think I'm up to this. But I want us to notice that this comfort only comes to followers of Jesus. Thomas asked in verse 5, so look, what is the way to this place where you're going? And Jesus answered with the famous words in verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. See, this comfort of knowing that our destiny is in the Father's house forever, it's available to Jesus' disciples. It's only available to those who know Jesus. He is the truth. Uh, and as a church, and this is the second plank of what I think wants to go into our vision this, uh, this uh, year, we have to keep holding out that truth to people because it, isn't lo- it is not loving to keep the truth from people, is it? Especially the truth about eternal destiny. Jesus is the only one who died for sin. He is the only one who could, who, who could die uh, on behalf of our sins He's also the only God who has shown love for the world. There is no one in the Buddhist gospel or in the Hindu gospel who loves you. Even if those gospels were true, which they're not, there is no one in those gospels who loves you. You go and look into it if you like. So you see, when it comes to the vision of our church, we hold out the truth that Jesus is the only way to God. Uh, So I I should also say, look, if you're newish and you're considering making St. Jude's your church, it's probably worth saying this. If you don't believe that Jesus is the only way to God, and if you're pretty sure you won't change your mind about that, then the sorts of things that I'm going to keep saying will probably drive you up the wall. I don't mind if you stay. I'm just letting you know. Back to the night that Jesus died, he'd said, I'm going away. He also said, I will come back to take my disciples, be with me forever. And he said, this is how to live in the meantime, love each other, hold on to the truth that Jesus is the only way to God. Well, I'm going to apply those to us very briefly in, in four specific ways for our church vision. As I said, I wrote the vision prayer several years ago uh, and it really focuses on the fact that I, I want the church to grow numerically. I, I see the cold hearts of the people of Randwick and I, I want them to be warmed and to, to come and meet uh, their saviour. Uh, but but here, are, here are the thoughts that I have had from applying uh, John 13 and 14 to us, first of all, uh, it, it's, it's so important for, for each one of us here to connect with people, to connect with each other, uh, to, to make this a welcoming church, uh, to, to come to morning tea, uh, to come to a Bible study if you possibly can, uh, as a means of connecting with the people that Jesus has called us to love, because we are to love each other. And that's the distinguishing feature of Jesus' disciples. Uh, The the second thing is inviting. Uh, So if we're to hold out the truth of the gospel to others, uh, then I really hope that uh, you you know people whom you would invite to church to to check it out, to listen in. Uh, They don't have to be a card-carrying Christian to to come along. They don't have to come forward to take communion if that wouldn't be uh, something that they would own for themselves. But they can come, they can be be welcomed and experience uh, our fellowship and uh, what is said and prayed. Uh, Thirdly, uh, and this really comes from a wider sort of conviction I've got at the moment, uh, it's so important for us to be growing in maturity, uh, both in in love, in the love that we've talked about, and also in the truth. Uh, And so every Christian needs to have a mindset that we're continually growing towards maturity. Uh, we never arrive, we keep growing. Uh, Paul is impatient, as he writes to the Galatian Christians, uh, how I'm in the pains of labor until I see Christ formed in you. I want Christ to be formed in me and in all of us. And then in the fourth, of, the fourth uh, specific thing that I want to, to mention is come to the weekend away, right? Uh, and you can see how it, it, all, it all comes together. Uh, the weekend away, it's... As I said, it's just just another one of those strategies to to create the conditions for the loving relationships that we want uh, to to develop and keep developing among us. Uh, It's also a chance for focused teaching. Uh, It's also uh, uh, even perhaps a chance uh, for a new person to experience our fellowship Uh, and certainly a chance for because of the, the concentrated Christian fellowship that it involves uh, it, it's a great uh, engine room for growth and maturity. So I'm, I'm super enthused about that. I want you to uh, let me know if, if you would come. And uh, uh, these are the two vision points that Jesus has given us today. First of all, that we love each other. Second of all, that we hold out the truth to the world that Jesus is the only way to God. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we are amazed, uh, humbled, and so grateful that you are a God who loves, who has loved us in the most costly way. And Heavenly Father, we pray for ourselves that we might do as Jesus has commanded and distinguish ourselves, distinguish your church by the way that we love one another. Help us also to hold out the truth of the gospel to all who will hear. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.